Hey, I'm Pastor Mike, and thank you so much for taking time to check out this message. And I hope that it inspires you. I hope it pushes you either towards a relationship with Jesus or further along in your relationship with Jesus. But we would never want this message to replace the reality of what it means to be involved with a local church. Although I'm excited that you're checking this out and I, and I hope it speaks to you, let me encourage you that you need to be involved in a local body. There's something to the fact that you need to be under the authority of the spiritual lead of a pastor and involved in a community that can push you uh, further along. We are meant to be in community. So enjoy this message, but let me encourage you to be seeking an opportunity to be involved with a local church. Jeremy is from Foothills Christian Church in El Cajon, California, which is right outside of San Diego. And Marvin and I had the uh, privilege of flying out there not long ago, going to see their church. They're a church of about 2,500. So they're a little small church trying to get it, trying to get it together, you know, um, and uh, have a, an amazing school, a, a full K through 12 uh, school gymnasium, all this sort of stuff. But Pastor Mark and I now have been friends for about we're, we're approaching almost 10 years at this point, and, but we had never been face-to-face -face until uh, we went out there. And what they do is, is they do the teen centers. And so everything that we have gone to model after is modeled after the way they do the teen centers in San Diego. So I asked Jeremy to come out, and he did some training yesterday, and that today he's going to bless us a little bit with a message and a little bit of understanding for you guys about where we're going with the teen centers and, and why we sort of do what we do. With that said, let me tell you, next week, next Saturday... And we haven't posted this yet. We'll get it posted tomorrow. Next Saturday, Marvin is going to be uh, having a work day at our Thrive Center, at our center that's just three blocks from here. And he needs about 15 people, and there's some specific things he needs. One is he needs a commercial electrician. Um, he needs some guys that actually have maybe a little bit of experience. You don't have to be a framer, but a little bit of experience framing. We're going to put up some walls, do a little building. But then also outside, there's a whole area that needs to be mowed, weed-eated, cleaned up outside. So there's out. So if you can be a part of that, just be looking. We'll be posting this probably this afternoon or tomorrow uh, to come help next Saturday and be a part of this new process. And, and you'll understand more as, as Jeremy comes. So I don't want to take too much away from his time. Uh, but so would you guys give uh, Jeremy Miller a good Church of the Lakes welcome this morning as he comes? Thanks, Absolutely. All right. We good? Nope, this isn't good. We are off to a rocky start. I think I need another one. I'll just say as uh, getting ready that it's a real honor for me to be here today. Um, it's been a great privilege of mine over the last, I don't know how long it's been, a year or so to get to know Pastor Mike. 
and uh, it was great having Marvin and him come out and visit. And uh, reminds me of a story. There was a wife one Sunday morning who was getting ready for church, and she noticed that her husband still hadn't gotten out of bed. She went over to her husband and was like, what are you doing? You got to get out of bed. We got to go to church. And from underneath the covers, he peeked out and, okay, <laughs> technical difficulties. This is the enemy. You can tell. Maybe the, do we have that table? I know there's three music stands, so maybe third try, we have the charm. Anyways, he peeked out from underneath the blanket and said, I'm not going, I don't like it. She's like, what do you mean you're not going? You got to go to church. And he said, I don't like church. You know, it's boring and the people are mean to me. They're not friendly. I don't have any fun and the, and the preaching's terrible. And the wife, exasperated, looked at him and said, John, you have to go to church. You're the pastor. <laughs> you know, it's a good thing when... A pastor loves his church and the church loves his pastor. And one thing I can say in getting to know Mike is Mike is a man that has a deep love for the Lord and for the word of God and that really loves his church. And as I've gotten to know the few of you that I've gotten to know so far, I can tell that this is a church that loves the Lord. This is a church that has a real sense of vision and calling. A church that has a passion for the lost. And so as I bring this message today, I really feel that it's a message that is already going to connect with the heart of your church. You know, I'm not coming in telling you guys how to do things. I'm coming in encouraging what you guys already have heard from the Lord to do. And so, again, I'm really blessed to be here today. Uh, my story is I came to Foothills Church in East County, San Diego in the summer of 98, the summer before my senior year of high school. You guys give you a hint how old I am. And I immediately got involved. I started working, became a volunteer and then an intern in the youth program. And that's where I got connected with the youth venture teen centers. And then eventually after being an intern at the church, I became a site director. And then for the last 10 years now, I've been the director of operations over the whole youth venture program. And uh, so I've been working with youth venture for 20 years now and been running the program for the last 10 years. And the story of Youth Venture goes back a lot further than I do. In 1992, our church had suffered a pretty discouraging setback in our attempts to help youth. And afterwards, Mark Hoffman, my pastor, was praying in the sanctuary. This is way before I came around. And he was just saying, he was crying out to the Lord, saying, Lord, all we want to do is help these young people. What, what do we do? How, how can we help them? And in that moment, God put the verse Isaiah 42, 3 in his heart where it says, A bruised reed he will not break. A dimly burning wick he will not extinguish. He will faithfully bring forth justice. And in that moment, he says that God dropped the entire vision for youth venture in his heart all at once. It wasn't his idea that he developed and built on. It was just all there all at once. And he knew that it was a vision from the Lord that we had to do. This vision of having teen centers out in the young people's neighborhoods and communities that they could come in for free every day, play video games and pool and all that fun stuff, have a snack bar, and that in that center we'd have volunteers that would build relationships and mentor these kids. And it was there, and so they began getting to work. And early the next year, they built their first center. It was 700 square feet, a 
across the freeway from our church. And back then our church was a a small church. We didn't have the money, didn't have the resources, didn't have the people to make it happen. And people kind of thought we they were crazy. Like, what are you doing? You can't do this. They didn't have much, but they knew they had a vision. They had a calling from the Lord. And so they just got to work doing whatever they could to keep the doors open and to reach these kids. And from that point, Youth Ventures grown and expanded. We now have five centers in San Diego and our impact, the impact of Youth Ventures being felt across the country and across the world. In February, I'll be making my fifth trip to Kenya where over 75,000 young people a week are being reached for the gospel, you know, because of Youth Venture. And so coming here today, I feel like a steward of a lot of hard work and investment that a lot of great men and women of God have put in before me. And I just feel grateful to be here. Like I said, it's a great honor for me to, to be here with you today to share, you know, what my heart with you. And I hope that what I have to say blesses you. So a couple things. Uh, we have this book. For, uh, we have, so I didn't bring a lot. I have some of them uh, for free for you out in the lobby afterwards. These are some stories of young people that we've reached through our teen centers. And uh, these will light you up, man. If you're discouraged or if you have a heart for young people and you just want to be lit up, read some of these stories. And I'm going to be, what I'm going to be preaching out today is out of this book. It's Mark Hoffman wrote it. It's our book called Joshua Principle. And it's a little bit of our story of reaching young people in San Diego and our, our vision and our heart for why we reach young people. It talks about the importance of that intergenerational transfer. And uh, so I don't get anything out of selling these. <laughs> I just hope it'll be a blessing to you. And uh, a little disclaimer, if you read both of these books, there's about a 93% chance you'll find yourself working at the Thrive Teen Centers when it opens. So just a little warning. If you pick them up and read them, it's going to light you up. So um, I want to ask you guys a question today. You know, if Jesus were going to go to a church, what kind of church would Jesus go to? What kind of church pleases him? What does he look for in a church? Imagine if Jesus woke up today in Leesburg, Florida. What church would he go to? Obviously this one. And if he came to a church, uh, just any typical church in America, what kind of changes would Jesus make in that church? You know, that's an interesting question, but the truth is we don't have to think too much about it or wonder too much because... We have a famous story in Matthew 21 that I like to call the day Jesus went to church. It's when he went to the temple. And when Jesus visited the temple that day, there was an interesting scene before him. Everything was running just how the insiders would want it to run. In that uh, temple that day were the money changers and the animal sellers all doing their business. And you might wonder, why were there money changers in the temple? Well, the Pharisees had decided that the only kind of money you could use for the temple tax was the Tyranian shekel, which was out of circulation. And so, of course, you could only get it from them for a really high exchange rate. And then if you were bringing an animal to sacrifice in the temple, that animal had to be unblemished. And the only way to ensure that you had an unblemished animal, you could probably guess, would be to buy one from the official vendors, a pre-certified animal. And so that, and so in the temple that day, they were doing all kinds of business and making all kinds of profit. And that's why Jesus called it, you are, said, you are a den of robbers. 
Now that's what Jesus found that day when he walked into the temple. But what changes did he make so it would be the way he wanted it to be? We find it in Matthew 21 verse 12. It says, And Jesus entered the temple and drove out all those who were buying and selling in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who were selling doves. And he said to them, It is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a robber's den. See, before he got there, the insiders were inside. But after Jesus, them and their agendas were on the outside. But what's more important is who was inside when Jesus was done. Who did Jesus bring in? In the next verse we read, And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. See, Jesus' church is a church where the hurting and the lost feel welcome, and where they can find ministry that heals them and delivers them. It's not just, Jesus' church is not just a comfortable place for the insiders. It's not just a place for us to come and feel good about ourselves and fellowship with our friends. Jesus is about restoring lost, broken people into God's plan and purpose for their life so that they can find the deliverance and the healing they need. But Jesus made one more very important change that day. It's important we don't miss it. In verse 15 it says, But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he had done, And the children who were shouting in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David, they became indignant. And they said to him, do you hear what these children are saying? Jesus brought in the young people. That day the temple was full of children. Children who were excited and shouting and surrounding Jesus. They were singing Hosanna to the son of David. And that term, that's the messianic title. It's so interesting that that day the kids got it. They were the first ones to get it. They were the quickest to believe in Jesus, even though no one else yet did. And it's interesting, it's the one thing of everything Jesus did, that was the one thing the Pharisees complained about. It says he became indignant. And Jesus replied to them. He said... Yes, have you never read, out of the mouth of infants and nursing babies, have you prepared praise for yourself? Jesus said, I like their praise. I like their noise. I like their enthusiasm and their energy. He said, God has prepared it this way. He said, God's made them this way. This is the way God made young people. To be full of energy and full of enthusiasm and full of love for the Lord. See, this is how Jesus wants his church. Full of excited kids. Worshipping Jesus. Excited about Jesus. So there's three lessons that Jesus would want his church to learn. If he was here today. The first comes in Matthew 19. Verse 13 and 14. It's the story of when the mothers brought their children to Jesus to be blessed. Then some children were brought to him so that he might lay hands on them and pray. And the disciples rebuked him. 
But Jesus said, let the children alone and do not hinder them from coming to me for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. The first lesson that Jesus would want his church to learn is that it's easy for adults to devalue and ignore children and youth. At the temple, it was the Pharisees. But here, even his disciples, he rebuked the children to protect Jesus from the children. Isn't that interesting? See, perhaps they wanted to bring Jesus before some important businessmen, some rulers or synagogue officials. And they thought, you know, Jesus is way too important to spend his time with children. You know, Jesus is a rock star. He's a big shot. He needs to be spending his time with big, important people. He could be in front of the king, in front of officials, not spending his time with children. You children just get over here, get away from Jesus. See, we need to realize as adults, our tendency to devalue kids, to not prioritize them, to ignore them. And the the sad thing is that so many churches today undervalue kids. The, the amount of, and you can see it in the amount of attention they give to young people. The amount of energy and, and effort they put into reaching young people. We, churches build these beautiful facilities and then they protect them from young people. That's what I love about you guys. You guys got it right here. We need to realize God cares more for the kids. He said the kingdom of God belongs to children. The next two lessons we learn in the chapter before, Matthew 18, 1 through 6. He says, at that time, the disciples came to Jesus and said, who then is greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And he called a child to himself and set him before them. And he said, truly, I say to you, unless you are converted and become like children, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever then humbles himself as this child, he is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to stumble, it would be better for him to have a heavy millstone hung around his neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. The second lesson that Jesus would want his church to learn is that Jesus greatly values children and Jesus identifies with them. He says to stumble or abuse or lead astray, a child will invoke his wrath. But on the other hand, Jesus is no longer with us. But whoever receives and helps a child for Jesus' sake, he counts it as receiving and helping him. If you want to show love for Jesus and earn his blessing, then reach out to a young person. Children and youth give us an opportunity to serve the one we love. The third lesson is that both entering and becoming great in the kingdom are tied up with becoming like a child. We read it in three through four. He said, truly I say to you, unless you are converted and become like children, You will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever then humbles himself as his child, he is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Now, really interesting. Jesus nowhere said that children need to become like adults to enter the kingdom of heaven. See, but most churches treat Christianity like an adult thing. Most churches are designed to appeal 
to and meet the needs of adults, but not children and youth. We think that children aren't smart enough to get in, so we put them out of the way until they get older. You know, once you're older, you understand, once you're older, you can be a part of our thing, right, of our church. And so youth programs are largely centered on amusing and babysitting and entertaining young people. We get them out of the way so the adults can enjoy themselves. You know, this is the lesson that so many young people, what I learned in the few times I went to church growing up is that this is not for me. It was the longest 60 minutes of my week. And my job at church was to dress up, to sit still, and to be quiet. My three most favorite things to do in the entire world. And couldn't wait to get away. And the message that these young, like, young people who are learning like me was that if you want to be here, you need to act like an adult. But Jesus said the kingdom belongs to children. He said that children gain the kingdom more easily. It's really interesting. George Barna, one of the leading pollsters and researcher of the church, found that though young people 10 to 12 years old only make up 4% of the population, they account for over 25% of all conversions. In fact, if you extend that age range to 8 to 13, it makes up nearly 50% of the conversions that happen. And on top of that, if someone graduates from high school without giving their life to Jesus, there is only a 6% chance they ever will give their life to Jesus after that. I mean, that's amazing, isn't it? And so by any sane measurement, if we say that we believe in the Great Commission, if we say we believe we're about evangelism, then our greatest efforts should be towards children and youth, shouldn't they? Jesus said, don't hinder them. It's their best chance for coming into the kingdom. See, it seems that the creator in his great wisdom has set this time of adolescence as the time when people are most open and ready to receive the gospel. In that time frame, so many changes are taking place. So I was like, oh, wait a minute. What is he about to talk about? You know, but intellectually they're changing. For the first time in their life, they can do abstract reasoning. They're beginning to search and question. You know, you tell a child the moon is made out of cheese and they're like, oh, okay, the moon's made out of cheese. I have a lot of friends who great, take great joy in tricking their children and telling them lies and getting them to do stupid things. They just believe whatever their parents tell them. But in adolescence, they begin to question. They begin to wonder, who am I? What's my identity? Where do I belong? What do I believe? What's true? What's real? What's right? What's wrong? It's at this time that their worldviews are being formed. In other words, they are open-hearted, searching, questioning, teachable, adventurous. All the preconditions necessary to enter the kingdom of God are present during this time in a young person's life. And, the, and so then if someone doesn't accept Jesus by this time, the good chance is that they never will accept Jesus in the future unless those preconditions of childlikeness are recreated in their life somehow. Sometimes through a tragedy or some situation where they become childlike again. The great tragedy is that most young people reach 13 without ever really hearing or understanding 
who Jesus is. Jesus loves young people. And he wants to reach them during this most strategic time in their life. And Jesus honors those who help him in his heart to reach young people. Today's children come out of the womb facing a predatory and toxic culture poised to destroy them. The pornographers, the drug dealers, Hollywood, the gang leaders, the sexual predators have all learned that they can exploit and profit from the vulnerability and confusion of adolescence. And so many people are born into homes of neglect and abuse. There's addictions and violence all around them. And then they they go to school and they're taught, you just came from apes and you have no purpose. You're not special. You have no real reason to be here. And so the result is that they're angry and confused and hurt and broken. And it's a, a group of people that are dangerous and toxic and bullying. In other words, they're distressed. Well, the Bible tells us about distressed people. In James 1.27, it says, Pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God and Father is this, to visit the orphan and the widow's in their distress, and to keep oneself unstained by the world. You know, we often hear sermons about keeping yourself unstained by the world, but how often do we hear sermons about visiting the fatherless in their distress? It's interesting that God doesn't require them to come visit us. He tells us to go to them. To go to them. And who are the fatherless? Well, simply anyone who does not have a godly father guiding them and teaching them. You know, many things cause fatherlessness. It could be death or divorce. It could be adultery. It could be alcoholism or drugs. It could be prison, even mental health problems. But to visit them means that we go to them. You know, that's why our church, we put such an emphasis on these things. We have five Bible clubs. We have over 35 after school, I mean five uh, teen centers. Over 35 after school Bible clubs on public school campuses. We have bus routes that every Sunday go out and pick up kids in the neighborhoods and bring them in. Because we we understand the call to go to the fatherless. And there's one more thing it says there that's so interesting. He says, go and visit them, what? In their distress. In their distress. What does that mean? Well, it means it's going to be dirty. It's going to be uncomfortable. It's going to be messy. It might not even feel safe sometimes. It doesn't say, go and visit them once they settle down. Go and visit them once they kind of get themselves cleaned up. Go and visit them once it's nice and comfortable for you. No, it says go and visit them in their distress. Go and visit them. What are people like when they're in distress? Maybe some of you have been there before. You've seen it before. Reminds me of a young man I met named Michael. I met him when he was in fifth or sixth grade and His mom called me. His mom didn't even know who I was. She had heard about me and seen me hanging out with other young people. And so she called me one day, a complete stranger, and said, I need you to spend time with my son. 
You know, his dad had abandoned him years earlier. And so I remember picking him up the first time. I'd never met this young man before. And I picked him up and he got in my car. And I started talking to him, asking him about his life. And I asked him about his dad. And I said, that must have been hard. And he just kind of shrugged and said, I'm I'm over it. The truth is that young man never really quite got over it. I worked with him and mentored him for so many years. I remember one time particularly. I got a call from his house. And his mom was on the line, hysterical. She had gone into a fight with Michael. And Michael had begun punching the pictures, the glass in uh, of the pictures on their wall. And he cut up his knuckles and then he took the pieces of glass and began cutting himself, cutting his arms in front of his mom. And he was hysterical and his mom was hysterical and she called me up and said, please, can you do something? Please come help my son. And I remember hearing Michael in the background sobbing and screaming, saying, I just want to die. And I got him on the phone and calmed him down and said, Michael, I'm going to come over and get you. Just don't do anything. I'll be right there. And as I drove to his house, I remember thinking, I don't know what to do. I'm I'm not trained for this. I don't understand. I called my pastor. I called Mark and said, Mark, what do I even do? What do I even say? And he said, you just be there for him. He is so hurt and confused right now. You've never even experienced how hurt and confused he is. Just love him. I remember coming and picking him up and seeing the cuts. I took him to the store and got some bandages. I remember that day sitting outside Starbucks while everyone else is inside having their coffees and enjoying themselves. And I just talked to him and encouraged him, prayed for him and bandaged up his wounds. But the truth is, and I mentored that kid and loved that kid for so many years, but the truth is he never really got over his anger and his abandonment that was in his heart. I still see Michael sometimes. He's homeless wanders the streets, drugs have kind of messed up his mind a little bit. But I know that there are seeds planted in his heart. He still has my cell phone number, still comes to our church sometimes and says hi because he knows we love him. And I don't know what the future has for Michael, but I know that those seeds are there because we were willing to visit Michael in his distress in his hurt, in his brokenness. Some guys are saying, Jeremy, you can't tell that story. Church, you're supposed to tell encouraging stories, nice stories. Well, I have another one for you. There's a young man. He's actually the first story in this book. His name is Thomas. And when he first came into our Youth Venture Teen Centers, he was a sixth grade kid, and he was one of the most angry kids I had ever met. You couldn't get two words out of him. You couldn't get a smile out of him. He said hi to him, and maybe you got a grunt and a glare. And You know, you pat him on the back, don't touch me, you know, and just go to the video games and play video games. And we had so much trouble with Thomas. He was just always causing trouble, but we just kept loving him, and he'd cause trouble. And we had to kick him out of our center so many times. Okay, you're kicked out for another week, you know, see you in a week. Okay, you're kicked out for two weeks. One time him and his friends broke into our centers after hours in order to steal all our stuff. And I remember one of these times he was kicked out. I was there at the center and him and his brother came walking up by the front door and my thought in my mind was, oh no, God, Jesus, (laughs) why is Thomas here? And I walked outside, hey Thomas, how you doing? You know, and his 
And I know something was different. Him and his brother, their heads were hanging. And he's told me, my dad just died. I didn't realize that his dad had been dying from cancer for some time. And his mom was so mentally unstable, she, she was just gone, couldn't even take care of them. And my heart just broke for him. And I understood a little bit more why he was so angry, why he acted out so much, and was so distrusting. For the next few years of his life, he lived, him and his brother just lived with friends in a drug house. It was a house of like 15, 20 people, people always coming and going. He slept on the floor in the corner of the living room. I remember him saying, maybe it's in the, in the book, that he was, felt lucky any night he just got to sleep on a couch. And we just kept working with him and just kept loving him. And he continued to cause problems all the time. And we just kept loving him. I remember he just slowly but surely those walls just began to break down in his heart. The hardness began to melt. Remember, first time he smiled. First time he interacted with him, he just started joking. And his life just began to change. At a summer camp a few years later, he gave his life to Jesus. Eventually, he moved in with a family from our church. And I had the great honor of being in his wedding a few months ago. He married a girl from our church, and he's one of the most young, wonderful young men you could ever meet. It says, visit them in their distress. There's a whole generation of hurting, broken young people in your very backyard. All around you, they're crying themselves to sleep tonight, so lost and so hurting, and they're just waiting for someone to take up the call of Jesus, to visit them in their distress. You know, and something Mark Hoffman has told us that stuck with me so long when he prays, says, Lord, help us to find those kids. We know they're out there. We haven't met them yet. But somewhere right now, there's a young boy, there's a young girl that is hurting and broken and they need Jesus. Lord, help us to find them. We want to do whatever we can to find those kids. Can I share one more passage with you today? It's in Matthew 13, 44. It's a real short story. It says, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in the field, which a man found and hid again. And from joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. There was this man one day, and maybe he's taking a shortcut home from work, and he crosses through an abandoned field. You know, it's an unworked field, right? So the grounds become hard. There's probably thorns and thistles, and it's not an attractive field. Obviously, no one has used it. No one's done anything with it. It's not a good field. But he crosses through that field today, maybe take a shortcut to get home. And as he's walking, his foot hits something hard. And so he stops and it catches his attention and he looks and there's something sticking out of the ground. You know, maybe years of erosion or whatever have, have unearthed it and he digs it up and there in the, in the dirt he finds a great treasure. And that's not too unlikely for back then. There weren't any banks so people would hide their treasures, bury them, and then maybe this person died. Nobody knew the treasure was there until it was uncovered. Well, now this man has a dilemma, doesn't he? He can't take the treasure out of someone's field. If he gets caught, it's, it'll be stealing. You'll have to return it. 
And the field is unattractive. He doesn't want the field. He doesn't want to buy it, but he can only get the treasure if he owns the field. And he's not a wealthy man. In fact, to buy that field, it costs him everything he has. He sells everything he has. He sells his clothes. He sells his house. He sells all of his possessions. But to him, it's worth it because he knows there's a treasure in the field. He's seen the treasure. Jesus says this is what the kingdom of God is like. And it's true on several, several levels. On one level, Jesus and the kingdom are the greatest treasure for which one gladly sells all to gain. But on another level, Jesus is the man in the field and we are the treasure. And Jesus gave up everything to win us. He gave up heaven. He gave up his powers. He gave up his seat, you know, temporarily, right, on the throne where he was being worshipped and adored. All of his rights and privileges, his prerogatives, and his very life was given up so that he could gain the treasure. This parable is about finding hidden treasures in unexpected and undesirable places. See, people, eternal souls, are the greatest treasure that surrounds us. And what's the field? It might be your neighborhood. It might be your city. It might be your workplace. It might be some present circumstance you find yourself in. But the field by far with the largest, largest, with the greatest, with the most accessible treasure, it's basically just sitting there on the dirt, is the field of children and youth. For many people, it's an unattractive field. It's a field that's full of pain, discomfort, confusion, maybe disrespect. Maybe it's, it's a field they feel unqualified for. But we can't have the treasure if we don't buy the field. Because the treasure is hidden in the field. And what is the cost? For Jesus, it cost everything, his very life. For us, maybe it's our time, our money, our comfort. It might be stress that we inherit, our dignity. You know, you work with young people, especially broken young people, and you're going to be giving up a lot of your dignity, your right to be respected and treated properly, your clean car. But there is a treasure in that field if there will be someone who's willing to pay the cost. The field's not attractive. No one buys the field because the field's so great, because they love the field. No, it's because they've seen the treasure. And we need to ask God to help us to see and to find treasure in uninviting fields. People sometimes wonder why people volunteer for our teen centers, for our Bible clubs, why they give their time. And it's not because they love the field. It's because they've seen the treasure and they're willing to pay the cost. So what's the field that lays before you today? What field has God put in front of you? And are you willing to pay the cost? There's a treasure of young lives in the field of your community. 
And I'm so grateful. I truly am so grateful for a church like yours. I'm so grateful for a pastor like Pastor Mike. You know, people who see the value, who recognize the treasure, and are willing to pay the cost. Thank you so much for letting me be with you today. Thank you, man. Thank you, heart. Appreciate it so much. Man, what a, what a challenge this morning, right, church? So, so let me ask you, because we, one of the things that we really like to do here at Church of the Lakes is, is not just take a message and go, that was good, and go run off, but respond. Like, what is our response? And, and that's different for everybody. Um, and the challenge he's put before us is kind of crazy, because for some of you guys, come on, just the word teenager makes you break out. You know? For me, it's the three-year-old preschool room that makes me break out into hives. And yet the reality is, listen, the challenge, Crescinda works in there, the challenge that he's put before us is, is this idea of this is our greatest mission field. I mean, this is, this is really that scenario. But I want to give you one other challenge this morning as we're thinking about how do we respond this morning. Because there's something that Jeremy said that really just the Holy Spirit, it, it, just, it just was glowing. And it was this, that everyone has to come to Jesus like a child. I don't know if you caught what he said, but you can either come to Jesus like a child or life can make you childlike. Are you, are you following me? What I mean by that is life can bring you to your knees. Life can bring you to a place where all you can do is raise your hands, right? Come on. You've been there. We started talking about this at the beginning of the service in the pressing, in the crushing, right? You are making new wine. The reality being that we come here this morning either with the heart of a child or the heart of an adult. An adult, we're calloused, we're, we've lost some faith, right? I don't know. Talk about, Lees, this is Leesburg. Jeremy, he don't know anything about Leesburg. He lives in San Diego, you know? Like we have this tendency to do the whole grass is always greener. Right? Like their weather is perfect. All the no, 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 hear me. The grass is always greener, but the water bill's way heavier over there than it is here. Come on, somebody. And so, so what is, what is our, our response? And I think there's a couple different ways you can respond this morning. We're going to have our prayer team up here to pray with you. And in a few ways you can respond. One is, have you chosen to put yourself in a childlike position? To say, I don't understand everything about who God is. I don't understand the whole story. But I will be childlike and throw my arms up and surrender my life to him. Because either you'll choose that or life will choose it for you. And I would much rather you this morning choose on your own. Before the crushing, the crushing and the pressing happens. That, that draws you to that place. So maybe that's a response this morning you might have. Another one might be, you know what? Some of you were very stirred today when we started talking about youth and children. And if that's the case, then we need to get you involved. And no, that's not some shameless, we've got you to this perfect emotional point. Now it's the kill. Pastor Mike's going to close and get all... No, listen to me, I, that's not what this is. This is not an emotional or a pressure thing or anything else. This is a reality 
that, that all around us right now in this community, there are kids and families that are dying, and you know it. And you know many of them. And we are God's plan A, and there is no plan B. So what is it? What does that look like? We're going to open a teen center. We're going to need volunteers. We have a youth group. We need volunteers. We got a children's ministry. We need volunteers to be a part of that scenario. And I want you to define child this way. Because for those of you who need to think about how do I invest in children, all right? If you're 86, children is different, right? Like to Mr. Wally, I'm a child, <laughs> right, right? But, but hey, teenagers, for you guys, a child is different. And I'm so grateful that, I don't, I don't know if you know this, but the majority of our children's ministry is run by teenagers. So we're raising up a generation that understands what it means to be generational, to turn around and reach down to the generation behind and help them come up to the place where they are. That's who we have to be. So the challenge is, yeah, you can, you can clap towards that one. The, 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 challenge, the challenge is, is for you to pick your stage of life. So here I am, Pastor Mike, February, I turned the big 5-0, right? So what does children mean to me? Well, I'm kind of getting to that place where I can still teach and talk to youth, but I'm not quite as cool as I used to be. I mean, not quite as cool. Yeah. But do, do you understand? Like, what does that mean for us? What does that mean? Seniors, listen to me. Don't just retire and walk away. We need you. We need you. I, I need you speaking into me. Right? We, we need to turn around and then, hey guys, our age group, we could do a little bit less activity that's just busy in activity to turn around and do something that invests in somebody who's a little bit younger than us. Teenagers, we need you turning around and looking at little kids because you're their heroes. That, that's what it means. This, this, is, this is the message that Jeremy has brought to us that I think is so critical for us to consider how we respond today. And so I do, I want you to take some time to respond and, and, and think, what does that mean? What does it look like for, for me to respond in some way to this call? Because either I see two scenarios, either you need to become childlike today and submit your life to God or recommit your life to God to put your hands up and go, God, I, I need you just like a child, right? Or I am called as a follower of Jesus. It's not a, it's not a some handful. We are all called to turn around and deal with the next generation in some way. So what does that look like for you? So would you close your eyes for a second? And I just want to pray for you. Um, the prayer team is going to be making their way up here while we're praying. So prayer team, y'all come on up. But I just, uh, Holy Spirit right now, would you speak to each individual here in their own personal response to the message that we've heard this morning? What's my role? What's, what's, what's the way that you want me to respond to this message today? Is it, is it that I would be childlike and surrender my heart or recommit my life today? God, is there a part for me to play in raising and reaching the next generation? God, help me to overcome my selfishness. Because quite honestly, I'm selfish. I, I don't want to go in the distress. <laughs> I don't want to get my hands dirty. I kind of have gotten my life to a place where I like my life and I like it where it is. But today I choose 
something different. I choose the uncomfortable to reach and to be who you've called me to be. I I choose the distress. I choose the ugly field that I might see the treasure. So God, would you speak to each person today, right here where they are, and give them courage to respond in whatever way that you see that they're to respond. I just pray it in Jesus' name. I'm going to close out in just a second. And when I do, you have the opportunity to come pray with someone, uh, to receive Christ for the first time, to recommit your life. Maybe you need to say, come up here and pray with somebody and say, I heard the message, but I don't know what the is. Would you, would you pray with me that God would make it clear how I should respond to today? They'd be happy to pray with you. Maybe you've got a hurt or, or something physical that somebody you could pray for healing, but the team is going to be here to do that. You can respond today uh, by giving. The boxes are in the back, so to drop your tithes and offerings in the, in the box as you go out. You could respond today on a Connect card and say, you know what? I'm interested in maybe getting involved with the next generation. And I will personally call you and have a conversation on what that looks like for you and your situation. So if you're new and you want to take one of those Connect cards and fill it out, if you want to put prayer requests on the back, our prayer team will pray for you on Tuesday. So there's a whole bunch of ways that you can respond to God today. So let me challenge you not to just get up and walk out but to get up purposefully today and either come to the altar, give, do whatever it is that God has put on your heart. Does that make sense? Right? So we'll see you guys next week. Would you now respond to God?